You are listening to the Magnetic Marketing Marketing Secret Gold Members Only Podcast. Six bullets you should never leave home without, right? So you got a new G- GKIC and you kind of got kind of got an old Dan because there's um, there's nothing new here in the next hour that we're going to spend together, except maybe for new people. Um, but there is important. And important even in relationship to the rest of the time you're going to spend here over the next, I don't know, eight, nine days before you go home. Um, um, it may not feel like that to you, but it will feel like that to some of us. Um, uh, so in the next however many days uh, it, it is we're together, these are really six categories, I think, of things you want to walk out of here with, um, either found created, thought more about, or strengthened, uh, because these really are the six things. If I were buying a business, building a business, starting a business today, knowing what I know now, they are the six things that I would want as essential component parts of what I was doing. And I wish I did know them uh, some 30 years ago. Not that things haven't turned out well. They have. But still, I wish I had known them. So, again, I don't think you're going to find anything new here. But you are going to get the six things I wouldn't leave home without. So, here they are, and then we'll, then we'll talk about them in order. So, one would be, it's warm up here, one would be financial le- leverage, the second would be place strategy advantage. The third would be celebrity brand advantage. So let's talk about each one of those. So first, let's talk about financial leverage. So here's, here's the number one marketing mistake almost everybody makes. And smart people, even though they have heard this and nod when they hear it, continue to make this mistake Uh, It's a battle I fight with clients who are fairly fledgling in their enterprises. It's a battle I fight with clients who have been around for 10 and 20 years. It's a battle I fight with relatively small business owner clients. It's a battle I fight with the few really big business clients that I have. So it is not a battle driven by lack of resources or money or tight budget because this this, um, um, I'm just screwing with you. You can do what you want. Um, uh, if, if you get down even lower, it makes me look even taller and thinner. Could you lie down when you take the picture? That would be very helpful. There you go. There you go. See, now I look like Tony. Um, um, the, um, so it's not about money. I think it's important for you to know that. So I have this same ongoing fight with a client um, that does almost $2 billion a year in revenue and fundamentally could spend virtually any amount of money any way that they chose. And the same conversation with somebody who's got a bag of pennies and is trying to get going. So if you think you're resource limited, you think that's why you make this mistake but really it is a mental mistake. It's not a money 
mistake, and it has to be fixed in how you think before you'll ever fix it in money. So here's the mistake everybody makes. They try and get their leads, their customers, their clients, their patients as cheaply as they possibly can. That's their chosen mission. And they evaluate everything they do based on the raw, simple, relative cost of getting a lead, customer, client, or patient by doing it. And they are very easily attracted by the cheapest or apparently cheapest thing to do, like moths to a light in the dark. And they deprive themselves of the biggest single advantage you can have in the marketplace, which is the ability and willingness to outspend every direct competitor for the attention and interest of your clientele. So not just direct in, you sell pipe. I'm not talking about not everybody that sells pipe. I'm talking about everybody who's talking to the same purchasing agent you're talking to, regardless of whether they're selling pipe or wrenches or horse manure. So by direct competitor, my definition's a little bit broader than yours. So if you try and do that as cheaply as you possibly can, what happens? You can do only a very limited number of things. If you can outspend everybody, the horizontal range of things that you can do expands dramatically and the aggressiveness with which you can do it expands dramatically. You can buy speed, you can buy growth, you can create discouragement for competitors, which as an aside, it's a very good strategy. Um, see, if, you, if your economics are right, you can even temporarily do things you know do nothing just to discourage competitors and factor it in to your averages. So I have a friend and client um, who owns uh, a very large martial arts school in uh, Louisiana. And some years ago, a major competitor announced they were coming into his relatively small market. And so we were having our monthly telephone conversation, and he asked for if I had any tactical ideas I said, yeah, go rent every billboard you can rent for advertising for the school for the next three months uh, so that they can't drive into your area from any direction and not see it. He said, I thought we agreed billboard advertising doesn't work for what I do. I said, oh, it doesn't. Uh, It's it's not going to produce a single student. Uh, uh, But that's not the point. It will discourage the competitor. Because every time he turns around, he's going to see your billboard. And if it doesn't discourage them, it will get them for maybe a year to spend a lot of money on billboards. You can stop after three months. <laughs> He'll go buy up all the ones you had and waste all his money on billboards. So either way, you win, right? But, but, but I mean, if your economics aren't right, see, you can't play that game. So the smartest marketers take this contrarian approach of how can I figure out a way to structure the economics of my business so I can outspend 
everybody else on the acquisition of a lead, a prospect, a customer, a client, or a patient. Now, this is merely one application of a bigger principle as an aside. And it is one of my main principles. So everybody hears it from me a lot. It's probably 50% of the product that's in there. It's the basis for the renegade millionaire system. And everybody nods at this a lot when they hear it too. Everybody sort of instinctively likes this, but very few people apply it, with apologies to Nelson, religiously, devoutly. Very few people apply it universally. The principle is, whatever the majority's doing, particularly about money, is wrong, and the single best starting point for you is the polar opposite of what everybody else is doing about money. Because as everybody's been telling you lately, 1% are rich and 99% aren't. Okay? Now, there's several ways you can react to that piece of information. You can go put on smelly clothes and sleep in a park in New York for six weeks and carry a sign and protest it. You can do that. You can make some voting decisions about it if you like. Okay? Or you can figure out how to be in the 1%. It seems to me that that's the most constructive approach to a fact that nobody's going to change. So the very fact that there is 1% and 99% should tell you all you need to know about behavior, particularly when it comes to money. 99% of the people are going to be doing the wrong thing. Only 1% is going to be doing the right thing. If you don't know what to do, just start by not doing what the 99% do. So what the 99% do in this application is they try and get their customers as cheaply as they possibly can. And almost every conversation then has to do with, gee, can we do it cheaper? Right? So if we, when I show it to you at another time, well, I can do it with, with this. I was going to show you Grant Miller's postcard. But so if I show most people, this is Gardner's Mattresses book uh, that they use, What's Keeping You Up at Night, A Guide to Overcoming 11 Common Mattress Building Mistakes. <coughs> and it's in full color, and it's got a lot of copy, and it's 28 pages long. So if I show that to most clients, here's where the conversation goes. Um, can we do it in black and white? Uh, do we have to do it on glossy paper? Does it have to be 27 pages? Why can't I just put it up on the website and let people fetch it, and then it doesn't cost me anything? Uh, how about if I email it to them? Because uh, that won't cost me anything. This is where the conversation goes, right? Where the conversation really ought to go is, if you were competing with them, gee, how can I make it like this bigger and deliver it in a giant box that looks like a bed um, and, and, and have people lay their head on it while they read the little booklet? And that's what the right question ought to be, but that's a question that's never asked because ingrained in people's behavior about this is how can I do it as cheaply as I possibly can? And it's the wrong question. The right question is how can I structure the, the overall economics of my business so that I can afford to do it more expensively than anybody else will do it? One of the many reasons for that so many of you were here yesterday at Professionals Day, and you were in the professionals session, not my session. 
my session was not the professional session. My session was for authors and speakers and info marketers, and believe me, none of us are professionals. So over, so over in the professional section, where we locked all the lawyers and CPAs and you know all the boring people in one room. Um, um, so, uh, so if you were here yesterday and you were in the session with all the boring people, you exempted, of course. Um, uh, uh, you heard uh, uh, my partner in crime of late, Matt Zagula, and one of Matt's principles is, which is an enunciation of something I've taught for years, is show up like no one else. Well, the best way to show up like no one else is to be able to spend more than they can spend showing up. So this leads you into a category of thought now that we will only spend another minute or two on, that we could spend days on, but a category of thought which should be what are the myriad of things I can do to the economics of my business that will allow me to outspend everybody else getting a customer in the first place? So I overheard Betty sharing inside baseball with you. And I said to Dave, I don't really know if we need to be sharing all that inside baseball. By the way, it's not up to me. I don't get a vote. So um, I'm just expressing an opinion, but I will tell you, if you listened with the right ear, it was instructive, okay. because there's emphasis on making the member 600% more valuable. Now, by the way, the, one of the ways we can do that is by being more valuable to you, so it's a piece of good news, even though it's inside baseball, but it might not have sounded like a piece of good news to you, but the important point is the only way we can go spend more money than anybody else to get a member is to make the member more valuable in the first place. And that's what you need to be thinking about as one of the six things you need to be thinking about while you are roaming around here for the next X days is look at everything you see through the prism of could I use this to fundamentally improve the economics of my business so I could then outspend all my direct competitors getting customers, which would expand my horizontal list of options. So if you take something as simple as Valpac, right? So everybody gets Valpac at home. Uh, guys, if you don't know what this is, it's a package of coupons. It's, there's, and everybody opens it, by the way. It's got a 98% open rate because everybody knows there's something in it that they want. So if you are a guy and you are living alone, you probably open it because there's a pizza coupon in it. Okay, so, so, I mean, everybody opens it because they know there's one thing in it they want. So it's got nearly 100% open rate. So the standard format in Valpac is a coupon about this big, and you can print one side of it or you can print two sides of it. However, you can put anything in Valpac you want if you're willing to pay more. So you can put a four-page 11 by 17 sales letter in there. You can put a full folded-down newspaper tear sheet in there. You can put something with a little lumpy object on it in there. You can put anything in there you want, pretty much, uh, as long as it doesn't need air holes in the envelope to breathe. And as long as you're willing to pay to do that, they'll let you do it. Okay? Hardly anybody ever does. In fact, the most common question they get is, can I buy half a coupon? All right? All right. So, financial advantage. I'll show you one thing about that, just as a thought. Okay. So, 
How many steps does it take to get to a million? Okay. Well, if we're doing dollar transactions, it takes a million units. If we're doing million-dollar transactions, it takes a unit and everything in between. One of the many ways you want to create financial advantage in your business is figure out how to minimize the number of units it takes to get to each million dollars. Now, that can be raw price increase. It can be ascension ladder. It can be A-B offers. It can be all the myriad of things that we take. But that's an important thought is right now it's useful to know how many units it takes you to get to each million and then think about how can I reduce the number of units it takes me to get to each million. In doing so, you'll find you have created financial leverage that allows you to pay more. So the second thing on our list of six is a smart place strategy. So by place strategy, I don't necessarily mean geography. I mean market. I mean the group of people, the population from whom you are going to draw your customers. So first of all, a lot of people still think local and provincial when really that's all over with. Um, The little cupcake store in Hudson, Ohio is shipping cupcakes all across the country. Uh, to Manhattan, where apparently there's a shortage of cupcakes and nobody can get them. So boundaries are gone. People are flying across country to come to their dentist, their financial advisor. People are doing business online. So the the local thinking for a local business um, really um, is not smart. There's an article in yesterday's USA Today, if you didn't see it, about church marketing and how churches now are really not limited to being local businesses. They are global businesses. Uh, An interesting side note in that article is the article about the Catholic Church's uh, confession app on your iPad, Um, which, no, 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 I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Um, uh, Which has had 100,000 users in like the last three months or something. Um, So so you got to have a picture now, okay? So it, it, titanium members and platinum members know, you know, after about five minutes of tech talk, my eyes cross and I, I'm out, you know. So imagine now being the guy going in and explaining to the Pope that we're going to create this app and people are going to confess on this little box. Imagine that conversation, right? But so, so I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about market. I'm talking about where you plant yourself, who you go after, what opportunities you take advantage of to draw customers from. And so I want to talk about, I'll give you two quick examples since I'm time limited. So one, years ago, so this, this is really kind of a famous story, but a lot of people still don't know it. So um, a guy I worked with late in his life, his name's Joe Cosman. Joe made a number of fortunes in a row by moving laggard products, stagnant products, even failed products from one place to the next. It's a strategy that works over and over and over again. The George Foreman grill is a product that was, so how many in here own a George Foreman grill? Raise your hand. Now you'll learn more if you look around at everybody else than if you look at me. Keep them up. Who owns a George Foreman grill? I mean, nearly everybody, right? So the George Foreman grill 
was sold, not as the George Foreman Grill, for at least 25 years. And it was an appliance in department stores in the appliance section upstairs at the top of the escalator that they brought out only in October, November, and December because it's one of those products that people buy when, at the last minute when they're desperate and they don't know what gift to get for somebody. So they get them, you know, the combination Bose Stereo, Cappuccino Maker, and Goat Milker. Oh, this will be cool, right? Because they won't have one of these. So it was, that, it, 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 it was one of those kind of products, right? And it sold a little every year, but, you know. So now there's no doubt attaching it to George helped, and that's something we're going to get to. But they transplanted it from the department store to television where they could demonstrate it, which is another principle I'm not going to talk about this more. So I actually just tied together celebrity place and demonstration if you're really quick. Um, but so that's a play strategy. So Cosman's biggest hit ever was a product called the Ant Farm. Okay? So how many in here owned an ant farm when you were a kid? Now, again, you'll learn more looking around at everybody else than you will looking at me. Okay, that's pretty good penetration, okay, especially since there's some people in here too young. Well, you still walk at a toy store and buy it, but it's not as popular as it once was at its heyday. But that product originally, so if you don't know the product, it's a plastic thing, kind of like a flat aquarium with dirt in it and a bunch of ants. And uh, from either side, you can watch the ants make tunnels and run around and do whatever ants do. This was being sold to schools for earth science and biology classes. That's what it was. It took Cosman to say, you know what? Kids would love to have this at home on their dressers in their bedrooms because their mothers will hate it, right? So, by the way, I was in a toy store last week trying to find caps for a cap gun for this, which, by the way, you can't get paper caps anymore. So there's some kind of new tech plastic cap, and it doesn't fit my cap gun. And But anyway, so I'm in a toy store. And... Um, and there's an ant farm there, and the gal working in the toy store is herself about 12, so I know she don't know the story. So, you know, and, and she, so I said, you sell many of them? She said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I says, why do you think people buy it? Oh, she says, everybody says the same thing. Okay? They buy it because they know their mom's going to hate it. Okay? So, okay? But that's a product movement from one place to the other, and here it was small and there it was big. So you've seen me writing lately about what I call out-of-category advertising and selling. If you haven't been paying attention, for example, the prematurely pronounced dead media of the Yellow Pages, which if you haven't thrown it out, you have one at home. Um, So you should look when you go home. Because one of the things you'll find happening in the yellow pages is it has been invaded by people from my world, national direct response advertisers. And we are invading by out-of-category place strategy. So in many of the cities all across the country, most of them, if you open up to dermatologists, you will find an ad in there for Guthrie Renker's proactive acne glop in every Yellow Pages book in the country, in dermatologists, which they are not. Now, this aggravates the dermatologists in Cincinnati, Ohio, you understand, 
but because the Yellow Pages is a shrinking media having difficulty getting advertisers, they are willing to do things that a decade ago, even five years ago, they weren't willing to do. If you go to assisted living, that's where you're going to put your parents. If you go, and that's where your kids are going to put you, and by the way, they're going to put you there a whole lot quicker than you're putting your parents there. Um, um, I mean, the first moment you look adult, so you make sure you're getting a lot of sleep, okay, other than when you're here. Um, so if you open up assisted living, okay, you're going to find things like premier bathtubs, the walk-in safe bathtub for old people, you're going to find their national ad in every local Yellow Pages book, but not in bathtubs, not in bathrooms. You're going to find it in assisted living because mom can stay at home if we fix the stuff in the house that makes it dangerous for her to be there. That's called out-of-category advertising and marketing. It's a play strategy that hardly anybody understands. So I got this, and I'm going to quickly read it. Uh, I got this literally last week, I think, um, from a Titanium member, I think, Greg Davis. So in the December special report, I think he's referring to the info letter special report, Dan talked about out-of-category advertising uh, and putting your ads in front of people that are not yet searching for your product. Now, I'm about to I'm about to, by reading you something, teach you internet marketing. So for all you people who are frustrated that I don't know anything, I don't, but I'm going to read you this. And so I'm about to teach internet marketing. So I thought this might be useful for you guys, especially if you use Google AdWords. So his case study is he's in the wrinkle cream business, glop that makes wrinkles go away, driving traffic for it, actually. Um, uh, Geography is the U.K., and the demographic for him is women over 35. So when first started the campaign, I used typical skincare keywords like face cream, skincare products, anti-aging, wrinkles, etc. Naturally, a lot of competing ads, globally known brands, people willing to spend a ton of money. Dan is always talking about focusing on the who, and in my case, the who was pretty broad. No pun. I started advertising... I started advertising on keywords. Really, I shouldn't have said that. I started advertising on keywords related to skincare that had a lot of the same who, like cosmetics and perfume. There, I still had a lot of competition, but not as many pure skincare ads. There, I also learned that my ads converted, even though they weren't in skincare categories. Once this had proven it could convert on non-relevant keywords, I quickly expanded my keyword list. I moved on to shoes, clothing, and other searches common to my demographic, but that had nothing to do with my product. Now, offline, online, same strategy. Don't miss it. And since the offer was converting extremely well, I kept expanding my keyword list. Uh, It became a game of how much traffic I could drive to it. So currently, some of my most productive keywords for my skincare products are news, weather, Marks and Spencers, which is a UK retailer. He's stealing their traffic. Yellow dress, day and year. 
With these non-relevant keywords, I've been able to do $1.1 million in sales in December for a non-Christmas item. If I would have stuck with the keywords relevant to skincare, I would have done 10% of this. Now, online, offline, same strategy. So if you go to the classic car auctions, the big ones, like you see on TV, there's an exhibit hall at every single one of them, and 90% of the exhibitors is car stuff. Right? However, at every single one of them, there's a great big tempur bed store. Doesn't have a damn thing to do with cars, but people are there for three days, and who's there? Affluent people who can buy an expensive bed. It's completely out of category advertising. With Valpac years ago, one of my biggest successes was for a client, one of the three biggest players in, and you've seen the ads, this business still exists, mostly newspaper ads, um, the $39 show up at the door, stop smoking, lose weight seminar in the evening. And so the troop comes into town, they run the ads for a week, they do seminars at night, you pay 39 bucks to get in the door to be hypnotized so you'll lose weight or stop smoking. And the real money is selling ingestibles and tapes and stuff at the back of the room. So the $39, they lose money on everybody they put in the room. They make money on what they sell at the back of the room. Okay? This is a business I thoroughly understand, only the hypnosis part I don't understand. Um, and if you actually could hypnotize everybody into buying, that would be lovely. But it turns out their closing rate's no better than the rest of us, just as an aside. Um, uh, which you would think it would be 100%. It's the first thing I said. I said, so, let me get this straight. In one evening, in three hours, you're hypnotizing everybody to stop smoking or stop eating. Seemingly, you could hypnotize them all to buy the stuff you got at the back of the room. How come we're only closing 42% of the room? This did not endear me to the client or the... Um, But I was looking for financial advantage, right? I said, let's get better hypnotists. We don't need a better ad. We need better hypnotists. Um, So... One of the biggest successes was Valpac. So everybody else was using newspaper and radio. I took them to Valpac with a four-page sales letter folded down, fit into Valpac. Okay, different place, out of category advertising, not a place. So the categories of Valpac are pretty much locked in place: tire store, pizza store. I mean, we can name them. This didn't belong there, but it worked there fabulously. So place strategy. In the interest of time. We will move on to number three. So bullet number three was celebrity or brand advantage. Now, I should tell you out of the gate, I'm not a big branding guy if you have to buy it. But brand is powerful if you, and if you can get it as a byproduct of direct response, so you're not having to pay out of pocket for it, then it's powerful. Celebrity is even more powerful. And it is more powerful by the day. So branding, one of the ways to get to branding is called co-branding. Which means you don't have a brand, but somebody else has a brand that is powerful, that can be borrowed, rented, bought, and used. So the food industry, for example, the fast food industry discovered about... I don't know, five or six years ago. There was a little bit of it a long time, but it really became a trend five or six years ago of fast food restaurants, and in some cases, upscale restaurants, but mostly fast food restaurants, glomming on to some known brand of product to match with the food that they were serving. So 
so-and-so's barbecue joint now is using a brand name barbecue sauce. The most recent uh, success um, it was also in yesterday's USA Today, so I want to get it right. Um, there's a whole article in there about new flavors of foods, by the way, coming out. And so this will excite many of you. Jack and Box is rolling out a bacon milkshake. Um, um, so you can get a BLT cheeseburger and a bacon milkshake. What could be better than that? But that's not, that's not what I want to talk about. So the big co-branding success of the moment, you've all seen the ads. If you wondered whether they were working, they're working. The Doritos Tacos at Taco Bell, where the shell is made out of Doritos chips. So it's working so well. Uh, so that's Doritos Locos, which is made with the red Doritos chips. They have now licensed and are rolling out the Cool Ranch version uh, later this year. Okay? So that's co-branding. Taco Bell exists. They're making tacos, but everybody knows Doritos. Doritos is spending a shitload of money on advertising. Why don't we piggyback on that? We'll co-brand. Okay? And it's a good deal for both because Doritos gets promotion from Taco Bell. Taco Bell gets a ride on all the advertising that Doritos is doing. Everybody wins. If nobody exchanged money, which may very well be the case, I don't know. If nobody exchanged money, it's still a big win for both because each got paid in advertising. Now, there's no reason you can't take that principle and bring it down to a local level. So here's how authors do it. Here's how they get free celebrity and how they bring it down where they get it for free. One, the best option is the dead celebrity. Because in most cases, you don't have to pay anybody. And there's nobody who's going to object to what it is that you're doing. So, for example, um, many of you know Joe's book. And if you don't, it's a great book. You should read it for the virtue of the book. So Joe Vitale's marketing book is all about P.T. Barnum's amazing ten rings of power for creating fame, fortune, and a business empire. Okay? So what's the celebrity here? P.T. Barnum. That's the celebrity. And there's a ton of P.T. Barnum archive stuff. There's P.T. Barnum public domain stuff. P.T. Barnum's entire autobiography was published as public domain to start with because he wanted it circulated in as big a quantity as it possibly could be. So... Joe co-brands himself and goes and gets himself a celebrity for free in order to build a book around. If you've read um, the book I did with Chip Kessler about the 21 lost marketing secrets of Dr. Brinkley, format-wise, oh, thank you very much. For, was that Chip? Um, format-wise, um, no, there's only two options and Brinkley's dead. So... Um, <laughs> Um, so that book is this book done with Brinkley instead of Barnum now of course Barnum's famous, Brinkley isn't so we did it for a different reason but format is the same Uh, Sherlock Holmes is public domain this is a book not near as good a book as Joe's but it's an okay book The Success Secrets of Sherlock Holmes Lessons from the Master Detective now from a book distribution standpoint this is like a little problem because I found it in the fiction section 
in with all the Sherlock Holmes novels, not in the success self-improvement section of the bookstore. Uh, so that's a little problem. Just like in the early days, all the chicken soup for the soul books were in with the cookbooks. That was a problem. <laughs> I'm serious at the bookstore level. Uh, but you get the point. Here in fiction, if you want to see fiction, here's a series of detective novels um, in which they have made the Rat Pack uh, detectives uh, solving mysteries in Las Vegas. So an unknown author with no credits to his name figured out, I need to leapfrog this somehow. How about if I go get me celebrities? Everybody knows. And I'll pick dead ones so I'll have less trouble. And I'll pick ones that were big enough to be public figures. So everybody's got every option I've talked about so far. Everybody in every business has the Doritos Taco Bell option somehow. There's somebody, some entity, locally, globally, in your market, who's spending a lot of money on advertising, that if you were linked to them, you benefit from all their advertising. And if they're linked to you, they benefit from all you. That opportunity exists. This opportunity exists for anybody, not just an info marketer, anybody. If you own a pot and pan store and you want to do a book to promote your pot and pan store, there's some dead famous cook, right, who you can factor into your book. Now, free celebrity and free living ones are also useful. So here's Grant Miller's postcard, right? And it's got a shiny surface on it, so it's probably not perfect to see. But this is what passes for a celebrity these days. Um, This is what show is she in? Who knows? Some reality show. Is it Jersey Shore? Yeah. Um, How many are watching Jersey Shore? Watch this. Nobody's going to admit this. (laughs) Uh, How many watch PBS every week? Watch this. Lying. Um, in case you don't know it, Jersey Shore is never out of the top three. Never out of the top three. Right? Most weeks, it's the highest rated show in television, hence now creating spinoffs. This season, there's three of the characters have their own shows. Okay? So Grant, for his Son Your Buns business, classy name, um, classy guy. Um, He has the reality TV superstar. Um, What's her name? Jay Wow. Okay. And he's got her there. He's got her there. But he's got himself with her too. Okay. Now, how much did he pay? Not one thin penny. Because she's already got herself licensed to a line of tanning glop lotions and potions. So all he has to do is stock the glop in his stores be at the trade show where the Glop company has her hanging out in the booth, get picture taken, and he's got himself a celebrity to use in a marketing campaign, and he spent no money. Anybody selling anything in any category, there's some company whose stuff you could be selling who already has a celebrity. I'll say, the last thing I'll say about this is seriously, knowing what I know now, I would not want to leave the house without either powerful branding or better yet, celebrity attachment. And it's okay if it's not the celebrity you would most love to have your picture taken standing next to. Although 
Grant's, Grant managed to keep his eyes looking straight towards the camera, which um, you get points for. Okay? Um, wife around when this picture was taken? No, really? Huh? Would you, Valium? What? Uh, uh, you know, I'd expect. Um, so, all right. So, for a big idea advantage, five, some sort of urgency leverage, and last, a process advantage. So, let's talk about big idea. So, the big idea that birthed the USP that had the greatest impact of any unique selling proposition I know of in our marketplace, you, are, you know well, was the original Domino's unique selling proposition, fresh hot pizza delivered in 30 minutes or less, guaranteed, okay? The big idea was 30 minutes or less, guaranteed. Nobody in the industry was doing it. Nobody in the industry had thought of doing it. Nobody was eager to copy them very quickly because, as it turns out, you actually can't consistently deliver pizza within 30 minutes uh, everywhere in the country without running over a lot of nuns and kids and people in sidewalks and stuff. And that accumulates into a significant problem. Hence, the USP long ago left us. But... It did launch the company at a meteoric pace because it was a very, very big idea, particularly to the target audience that was originally Domino's market. Domino's original market, you understand, was not busy working moms coming home, people screaming, where's the food? That is a target market now. The target market originally were college kids in dorms because the original locations were close to college campuses, and over 70% of the deliveries were made to college dorms and apartment buildings near college campuses because those buildings were full of people who had smoked enough funny stuff that they desperately needed carbohydrates and could not go and get them for themselves, and they did not care about quality. They did not care about fresh ingredients. They did not really care about any of that. They really cared about 30 minutes or less. Nobody did 29 minutes or less. Nobody entered that game like ever. Very, very big idea. In Gardner's business, sleep number beds is a big idea. Personally, I don't think it's a very good bed, but it's a very big idea. It's caught the imagination of the public. Oh, one side can be this, one side can be the other. Now, that's not a universally good idea. McDonald's did it years ago with the container that kept the meat side of the burger hot and the bun side of the burger cold. That thing went away in about six months. Okay? I guess it was missing the dial. Okay? But the sleep number bed's a very big idea. Speed's a very big idea. Three-day blinds, one-day dentures. Big ideas. Big idea you're all, all familiar with is the Amish-made heater. This is now in its fifth year of mega millions of dollars of business. Of course, the Amish don't actually make the heater the Amish can't even use the heater. It runs on electricity. Okay? So, you know, Disney's opening in China so the kids can finally 
see the part for the toys they're making in the factory. The Amish can't even... The, the Amish can't... Was that cruel? The, the Amish can't even... The, um, um, maybe they'll finally get the parts in the right place. You know, you buy, you buy that stuff at a dollar store. It's got Mickey's two ears on one side and nowhere on it. Because, you know, they, they don't know. What do they know? Um, so the Amish can't even take this thing home and use it. And really all the Amish are making is the wood box that goes around the heater, which is disclosed in tiny little print that nobody, okay? But really, the big idea is the Amish-made heater. Now, this is a full-page ad. If you're not familiar with this, right, this full-page ad, this is from USA Today, but millions spent on print advertising in USA Today, newspapers all across the country, month in, month out, changes seasonally, rests it in summer, brings it out, three seasons out of the year, does very, very, very well. It's a space heater. That's all it is. It's a space heater. It's a mundane commodity product. Anybody can go down to Walmart or Home Depot and buy, and there's a choice of them in price ranges, with dials, without dials. There's one that'll do everything this one will do for a lot less money. Uh, You can go to a local furniture store and buy a box for it if you want to. But Amish made is the big idea. It's the basis for the whole story. And because the overwhelming majority of the public immediately associates the Amish with two things, craftsmanship and honesty, it makes the entire story of the ad work because it is believed. Uh, One of our longtime members, often on client of mine, big idea that drove his business, Matt Fury, Again, this is a glossy page, so you really can't see, but we haven't seen him in about seven years since he took this picture because he got down, he can't get up. But, um, um, but here the big idea again is speed, right? How to double your flexibility in one evening. That's a very big idea. Best big idea from a money standpoint is really big, really expensive kids' playhouses. That's a treehouse. This is the inside of a child's playhouse. This is a kid's treehouse. This is a playhouse. The boat is a playhouse. Price tag. Average price uh, price uh, for, and there's, by the way, there's more than one company. So this is not a story about one company. This is actually a category of companies. Okay? Average price from $9,000 to $75,000. Okay? So Architecture Kids is building playhouses shaped like windmills, pirate ships, and castles for $50,000 to $150,000. It's architect, architecturekids.com if you happen to be curious. Lilliput play homes, they're like the longest players in this business. They're all the way from 4000 to 50000 uh, Kids Crooked House, they only make playhouses that look like Salvador Dali would have designed it. It's all out of kilter. Okay? Uh, eight grand. Uh, Posh Tots, their top end products, $122,000. Uh, let's see, Modern Cabana, that uh, doesn't give a price. Uh, La Petite Maison. Uh, custom ones, so you dream it up, they'll build it 75 grand. 
Barbara Butler, artist plus builder, um, makes sus- custom makes sustainable redwood structures for you liberal parents with ladders, bridges, chutes, and fire poles, and the top end products are two hundred thousand dollars. Right now, a couple of things about that you got to understand. That's a big idea with a big price tag. Okay? And there's a market for it. And by the way, you can afford to spend just about anything to get a lead, to get a customer, to buy a $200,000 backyard playhouse. Pretty much, there's no limit on what you can spend to go market. So, big idea. Urgency leverage. This one I knew from the beginning. Okay? And that is that you really don't want to be selling anything without a compelling reason that people have to buy it right now. Because people generally aren't real good about buying. So when we talk about sales later, beginning I think this evening, we will talk a lot about how deeply flawed consumers are um, in their behavior from our standpoint. And their biggest flaw is the ability to make a decision unless there's a compelling urgency for them to do so. So I would never want to be out there without the bullet of a profound reason for urgency. Now, categorically, this is very simple because there's only two things you can do. There's buy now because, and there's buy now or else. Those are really the only two categories in which we operate when we create urgency. So there's buy now because... That typically is discount, price incentive, BOGO offer at retail, be the first on your block, be in line with the cool kids at midnight so you're one of the first guys at work to have the new whiz-bang phone. Uh, Buy now because. Buy now or else is you're going to die. Okay? Well, that's like the best pitch Say, that's the best buy now or else pitch there is. That doc who has test results and says, you got to get on a gurney like right now or you'll be dead by dawn. He has really no price issues. He has really no objections. He has really nothing to deal with. Just climb on the gurney, right? So buy now or else is some version of that. You are going to buy right now or something really bad, or unpleasant, or undesirable is going to happen to you. And you have to think about how many different ways. So, for example, there's a company that I occasionally buy rare or first edition books from. And they only have one of the thing. Now, in some categories, there's actually a lot of them out there. And they keep reoccurring. In some categories, there aren't. But they have trained me that if I wait a day or two, it might be gone. So now, when they call and say, we've got a X, okay, they get right past all my normal, wait a week, send me stuff in a box, all that goes away. Vicky gets to me immediately. They've got a thing. Do you want it? And I drop what the hell I'm doing to respond and decide whether I want it or not. Because if I wait even an hour, I might not get it. Okay? That's buy now or 
else. In many businesses, if you can't have that, you can at least manufacture exclusivity. So you can decide to sell whatever it is that you sell only to one person in an area, one person in a business, one person in a neighborhood, one person in a particular industry or profession, one person this month, so you'll at least have to wait two months before you can buy it, you can create exclusivity. And you should think about how to create exclusivity. So as quickly as I can, the best story about this, <clears throat> Larry King told me the story of being asked to come in and MC when he was on radio in Miami. MC a little testimonial uh, dinner for uh, someone engaged in a not 100% legal business. So this is a testimonial dinner where a bunch of bent nose people are going to be there. And they're also going to honor the guy, uh, the local parish priest and so forth. So Larry's going to, and they, so he says yes, of course, because of who invites him. And they tell him, look, there's just a few rules. You can't make any jokes about the mafia because there is no mafia. And don't ask anybody to turn up any lights because there's competitors in the room who really don't like each other. And there's feds here. And the people from the church don't necessarily like to acknowledge that they're in a room. with. So don't turn up. Fine. So Larry does the thing. And he's off stage. And he's happy to just get out of there. And the same guys who came and got him. Now greet him backstage and say, boy, you were great. Everybody loved you. You were terrific. And now we owe you a favor. Larry, no, 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 no. No, we owe you a favor. We owe you a favor. What would you like? Oh, no, no. The guy says, we owe you a favor. We don't like owing people favors. Larry says, really? Larry says, the next question he gets asked is one you'll probably never hear in your entire life, which is, well, you got anybody you want whacked? Now, what's important about this question is, is that everybody starts to make a list. Immediately into your mind comes the first one, the second one, the third one. That's what happens with exclusivity. Is if it's done right, people immediately begin to think of the people they know they don't want to have it. That's the extra leverage in exclusivity, keep it in mind. Last one I wouldn't leave without is a process advantage. And so there's all sorts of processes. And for example, you're a member of GKIC, we're really a process company. Tupperware is really a process company. So one kind of process you're very familiar with is continuity, right? Till forbid, charge a card every month, et cetera. The number one perfect 100% retention continuity business in America, there is one that is perfect, and it has 100% retention. We can't claim it. No one else can claim it. Guthy Renker can't claim it. Only they can claim it. Who knows what it is? No. The electric company, the utility company. People are very unwilling, particularly spouses, to sit very long in a cold, dark house without a working refrigerator. Kids don't like being in a house with no TV. Gee, you guys were only about three minutes late on that cue. If you can manage it, turn it back on. Should have used the clicker. Um, 
Wow. Um, one simple task. <laughs> one simple cue. Right? Guy's going to be trying to make love to her after she's dressed and left. Um, so, the utility company, the utility company, took start without me to a whole new level back there. Um, the utility company has nearly 100% retention in their continuity program. Hardly anybody else does. But still, for many businesses... And many businesses that you would not think it would be an important part of their business, such as Grant's Sonia Bun's business, Diana's Gourmet Pizzeria business. Continuity can work. It's a powerful process. One way or another, you do want a process advantage. Okay? So many businesses that you look at and you think of in context of their product or their service, it's very important to understand that that's not what's driving their success. So I pointed out many times, Tupperware, most people think of with the plastic pots and the lid that when you put it on and take it off, it makes a noise. And it keeps crap fresh in the refrigerator and it stacks. That's not their business at all. They're a process company. Okay? And they're very good at a handful of processes. Okay? Finding and recruiting uh, people who will work in their spare time on straight commission in order to sell things. That's a process they're very good at. Two, training those people and motivating those people so that they'll be productive. That's a process they're very good at. The actual architecture of a home party that sells a lot of stuff that pretty much a trained monkey can do, that they're very good at. Right? There's about five processes they're very good at. The pot is almost immaterial to the point that they also own cosmetic companies, skincare companies, other direct selling companies that use the exact same set of processes. Proactive $800 million a year business is really not about the glop. It's helpful that the glop works and that if you stop using the glop, the problem comes back. That's helpful, but really they're a process company. Right? And they're not an infomercial company. They're not, a, they're not an internet marketing company. They're, not, they're a collection of processes that work. So I would want a process advantage. And I would say this last thing to you about that. Some people think about processes in context of marketing. Other people who came from the sales side think about processes in terms of selling. The real advantage is having really good processes on both sides. So one kind of uh, Achilles heel of a lot of people who come through the marketing side here is they get really good marketing and their sales processes suck. So now when the phone is answered, horribly. When somebody finally does get in the store, the person facing them is lousy. The capture is bad of walk-in traffic. The follow-up is bad. Okay? People from the sales side may have a great sales process, and then they have no marketing. The real advantage is both. So there are six things, six categories of things to make your hunt about in the next however many days we are here. Okay? To hunt for what you don't have in those six categories or how to improve and strengthen what you do have in those six categories. Have a good few days. I'll see you a lot during these few days, and I believe it returns now to Dave D. Thank you all. 
You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you'd also get access to the whole enchilada with all of Dan's courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.